0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. I'm excited to be here this morning with you and sharing from God's Word. Uh, When Jeremy called me about a month ago saying, hey, would you like to help out in this preaching series we're going to be doing on the seven churches in Revelation, the thing I was uh, most encouraged about. He said, you can pick the church or churches you want to preach on. So that was awesome. So I chose, uh, today we're looking at the church in Pergamum, and then in three weeks I'll be doing the church in Philadelphia. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, the other thing I'm excited about is the coming of our new pastor, Paul Stevens, and his family. Um, you know uh, you know what encourages me the most about he and his family coming is how genuinely excited each of the pastors are about him being here. Um, (laughs) I think that was Mitch back there. Um, uh, We're so blessed with our current pastoral staff. Uh, My prayer has been, I'm sure many of you also, prayer has been that the new pastor would be a great fit with our current pastoral staff. And... uh, first take on all that. Uh, we have a great start in the sense that each one of them is so excited about having Paul uh, and his family here. So that's answer to our prayers and I think they said they're hoping in November or so he'll be here. Uh, so that's exciting and encouraging I think for all of us as we've been praying for that. So why don't we take a minute and thank the Lord for that and pray for uh, his word to speak to us this morning. So let's take a minute to pray. Father I do thank you for the way that you have orchestrated uh, bringing Paul and his family uh, to heritage, we thank you as it just seems to be such a good fit with all the pastors being excited about him coming and Lord, that is your work and we have trusted in you in this whole process. I know when the first set went through and it didn't work out, it could have been a little discouraging. I so appreciated Jeremy's words saying, hey... We prayed for God's will, and this wasn't God's will, so um, we need to trust Him in that, and we see what you have done in answering the prayer. So we look forward. Uh, give the family, help them. It's a huge adjustment, moving, packing up, moving to a totally different area. Um, so I pray for the, we pray for the family, help them in that move and all that goes with that. And Lord, as we look to your word this morning, we ask that our hearts be open to hear from you. Your word is living and active, and and Lord, may it make a difference in our lives and in our relationship with you. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Back in the end of January uh, of this year, Katie and I headed out on a trip to Southern California in our car. Uh, The car was packed up. Uh, It was clean, you know, you never go on a road trip without a clean car, so the outside was clean. Um, Tire pressure was good, Uh, check the oil, it's a 20-year-old car, so it burns a little oil, so we got to make sure the oil is filled up, and that was all good. So we headed out, and we were approaching Wairika, when all of a sudden uh, the dash started flashing, and the engine kind of started cutting out a little bit, and I going, oh, great. Um, The good news is we weren't that far away from home, the bad news is we weren't that close to our final destination. And the last thing I wanted is like, oh, great, is this going to break down somewhere else? So I said, we've got to pull over. So we pulled into Wairika, which is something we never do when we head out on a trip. I mean, that's just too close. You don't pull over at Wairika when you're heading out from here. But we pull over. you find a Les Schwab. Because I had a feeling it was something with electrical, but we had a, a, a fairly new battery. So I said, it can't be the battery So we go into Les Schwab and he checks it out and he said, yeah, it's not your battery, he says, but it's your battery cable. He said it's full of corrosion and rust and therefore the connection was bad and the whole cable needed to be replaced. Well, um, you know, it wasn't a major issue. It's a cheap repair. We got it fixed. We got back on the road. But it's interesting because, you know, I typically keep our cars in, in good shape. We don't usually have problems with the car breaking down. But what happened here it was a slow buildup uh, of a little rust, uh, a little corrosion that went unchecked that caused this car to start to fail and caused us to pull over uh, on a road trip. I mean, when we head out on a road trip, that's the last thing I want to do. I mean, I lock into our final destination. My wife will give testimony that unless we're out of gas or we're starving, we're not pulling over. I mean, I just go for it. And so, but a little bit of rust and corrosion, and that got me to have to pull over. Uh, Today, as we look at the church in Pergamum, we will see that in a way, they had a similar problem as we did in our car, but not with a piece of machinery, but in their spiritual lives. I've entitled the message this morning, The Subtle Seduction, a seduction we can all fall victim to. I'd like you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. And I want to read that section. And out of reverence for God's word, I'd like us all to stand as I read that. And then we'll dig into this passage. So, Revelation 2, starting with verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has a sharp, two edged sword. I know where you dwell. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. The Church of Pergamum is the third church out of seven churches. What I want us to notice first is the introductory statement and how different it is from the first two churches. Look back at verse 1 in chapter 2. In the start of the message to the Church of Ephesus, in Ephesus, it states The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And if you look back in chapter 1, it explains what those are in verse 20. As for the mystery, in chapter 1, uh, 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So it kind of explains what that is. So it's like, okay, we got, we got the angels, we got the churches. Um, good to go. That's fine. You know, it doesn't really... Do anything to hear that as they start that message? Simple enough. Uh, It it was a repeat of what was said in chapter 1. Now, the same is true with the start of the message to the church in Smyrna. I don't think it really stirred up anything or any concerns. Look what it says there in verse 8. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Okay, well, we know who that's talking about. It's talking about Jesus, talking about his death and, and resurrection. Uh, That's all good? Um, Great. And then he gets into the message of Smyrna. But to the church in Pergamum, it's a little different picture that is set. Verse 12. The words of of him who has the sharp, two-edged sword. Now all of a sudden we have a a weapon entering onto the scene. Uh, Don't you like how it emphasizes that it's not just a sword... But a sharp, two edged sword. Sword is mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 16 of coming out of Jesus' mouth. You know, and there's something with a sword. I have one here. Um, A sharp, two edged sword coming out of his mouth. And that's how this message starts. Hmm, seems a little different. You know, we were just talking, Smyrna just was talking about the resurrected Jesus. Now, with us, We've got a sharp two-edged sword. As you think about a, a sword, it's a, it's a weapon. It, it's used for battle. Uh, a sharp sword in the hands of Jesus, to me, says, don't mess with me. I'm a savior. I'm the savior, but I'm also a warrior. I'm also the one who administers justice. This is confirmed in both 16, look at verse 16, it says, Therefore repent, if not I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. And then it talks about the sword again in Revelation 19, uh, in the great battle. Uh, Look at, uh, let me read to you, 1915, it says this, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So the sword is not just for show. I mean, this is something that is going to do battle. It's going to take care of business. I think the message is clear. Pergamum, you better be listening. You don't mess with the guy with a sharp two-edged sword. He means business. Well, the good news for the church is that he starts talking about the challenges the church, is, the church is facing and how they have responded well to the challenges. In a sense, he, he's keeping the good vibe going that was in the message to Smyrna, which the message was all positive. And so now here he started on positive things. So okay, the good things are going here. Look at uh, verse uh, 15. Um, he says, actually, verse 13. He says, I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Pergamum was a city, a center for worship of various pagan gods. In Greek mythology, it was the birthplace of Zeus. They had a huge... Statue of him 100, 150 feet tall in the center of the city. It was also, Pergamum was also the first place where the first temple to Caesar was erected as other temples of worship. There's lots of godlessness going on in Pergamum. But what I want us to take note of is not this, but the wonderful fact that our God is very aware of the culture and spiritual environment his children are facing in this city. And he knows what is going on. And the same is true for us today. God knows what challenges each of us are facing in our current culture. The amount of evil that is coming against us. And he cares. Others may have no clue of some of the battles you're facing. Some of the way evil is coming against you may be at work or at home or in your neighborhood or whatever, but God sees it all. Others you may feel really can't relate to the, the, the spiritual struggles I'm going through, what's coming at me, but God can. He fully understands. He knows how tough it is. He is not a God who is unaware, but he sees it all and he takes notice. He takes notice when we respond in the right way and hold fast to our faith when things are very difficult spiritually. That's what is happening in the church in Pergamum. God, in verse 13, is encouraged by their stand for their faith. And even though a believer named Antipas is martyred for his faith, they don't deny their faith, but they stand firm if they were half-hearted in their faith, if it was just something they embraced because it was a thing to do at the time, or if it was all about the benefits of being a follower of Christ that caused them to first respond to the gospel message, their faith probably would have crumbled when the reality hit that being a follower of Christ could actually put you in harm's way. To the extent of being killed, like Antipas was. When it becomes a matter of life and death, only those whose faith is real, who have experienced God in their hearts, will remain true to Him. The rest will just walk away. Tough times have the result of strengthening the body of Christ. As people have to decide, is it really worth it? Is their faith in Jesus worth more important than even their physical life on this earth? Do they believe that to die and be with Christ is far better than anything this world has to offer? The believers in Pergamum said yes. He is worth it. And God, who sees it all, takes notice And he lets them know that they have done well. Think of how encouraging it was at this point to hear these words from God. I know what you're going through. I know that you're standing firm. Even though someone has died for their faith, you haven't let it affect you. And you hold fast. Think how encouraging that was for them to hear that. Have you ever had this happen to you? You're going through, maybe you're going through a time of trial. There's opposition to you and your faith. It's been hard. Maybe it's cost you to stay true to the faith, to do what is right in God's eyes. Maybe someone has been coming against you directly, doing things that are hurtful, maybe even hurtful for your family. And inside, everything inside of you wants to retaliate wants to get even, wants revenge. But you know that's not what God wants. And so you, you fight it and you say, no God, I'm not going to respond that way. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm even going to pray for this person. And then in, in some way, either through your prayer time or time in the Word or maybe a, a message you hear on the radio and in church, You sense God is speaking to you. You sense He is saying to you, I know what you're going through. I know how hard it has been for you. And I want you to know I'm so pleased with your stand, that you have remained firm and true to the faith. You haven't given in to the flesh. You haven't responded like the world wants you to. Well done, child well done oh how you needed to hear those words at that time maybe some of you need to hear those words right now and you're going through it and you're holding firm but it's hard and you're weary God is saying I see it I know what you're going through keep standing firm well done It was a somewhat frightening time for the church in Pergamum because of what was going on. One had already died for their faith. Who knows what will happen next? I have a son and wife who live with their two children, small children, live in downtown Minneapolis. The big riots that we had a month or so ago uh, were just two blocks away from their apartment. Last week there were protesters that actually marched right down in front of their place The reality is they simply don't know what's going to happen. The threat of danger and physical harm coming to them is real. It's not just something they see happening on TV, but it's just outside their door. I think they view it differently than we do here in the Rogue Valley. I mean, we just don't have that right now. But they do. Things were difficult for the church in Pergamum. Being a follower of Jesus could cost you your life, and they held fast to the name of Jesus. They did not deny their faith. With this being true, uh, one could think they were untouchable by evil and temptation. I mean, if you can stand up to your life being threatened and not deny the faith, then what can touch you? I I mean, you are strong in your faith, there's nothing that's going to get to you. You're willing to die for Jesus. They don't back down. They hold their spiritual ground. But as we see in the passage, some do struggle and fall victim to a subtle seduction. Look at verses 14 and 15. But I have the few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, Nicolotians. How could this happen? They were willing to die for their faith and yet they get sucked into embracing some false teachings. And we can make the same mistake in our thinking today. Thinking of someone who's, strong, who's a strong witness for Jesus. Someone who maybe shares their faith frequently and people have come to know the Lord through them. Um, they have a great marriage. Their children are wonderful. And we can falsely think that they really don't have much struggles in their faith or with temptation like we do. People can tend to throw pastors sometimes in this category. But it's absolutely incorrect. Everyone is human. Everyone has areas of weakness and struggles. Even though we, they may not be observable to the public. Everyone in this room, everyone watching online, has weaknesses, has struggles in their life. Everyone. Everyone. And this is one of the reasons we need each other to gather together, to build friendships, to have times of fellowship, because we are all in the battle. We need to encourage one another. And this happens when we interact with each other personally, when we get to know each other and get to hear your stories and how we're doing and things we're struggling with. The worst thing we can do is isolate ourselves because then we don't have any support and we're much more vulnerable to temptations. The evil one loves nothing more than when he has us all to ourselves. When we have no support. When we're simply trying to battle him on our own, we won't make it. We'll get eaten up by him. We need the support and the prayers of other believers. We need each other that goes beyond just Sunday mornings but getting to know one another and letting ourselves be known. You know, the only reason I was able to be in ministry for 30 years at one church, I firmly believe, it's not because I'm some spiritual giant, it's not because I'm incredibly gifted, but I firmly believe it was because we had faithful people in our church who prayed for me often. They knew that spiritual leaders get attacked more than others. They knew that I was simply a mere human and I cannot stand up to the evil coming against me on my own. I needed the prayers of God's people. The best way we can minister to our church here at Heritage today is to be praying for our pastors. Specifically, individually, by name. For God to to help them for God to help them keep their eyes on Jesus when there's so many distractions going on it's God to help them to remain humble and know only by the grace of God can they be used by Him pray that God would give them the strength that they need against temptations they face pray that they will not be people pleasers but servants of Jesus Which means they do not always make decisions we may like, but are doing what they believe is right and honoring to God. Because it's not about us. Then lastly, and just as important, you could go old school here and send them a card, text, write them an email, letting them know that you're praying for them. Maybe there's a verse that you want to attach to your prayer. I've been praying this verse for you expressing your thanks to them for their service to Jesus and to the body here at Heritage because being a pastor can be very draining and a great way to help fill their hearts is through your prayers and words of encouragement. May we be a church body that is constantly lifting up our pastors in prayer and encouraging them so their hearts are overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving for the church body they get to serve and be in. And I promise you, if we do this faithfully, we will be a more vibrant and healthy church. For healthy pastors help grow healthy churches. The believers in Pergamum were strong against the face to face opposition to their faith, so we will use a different tactic. To get them to sin a more subtle seduction as we read in verse 15 it talks about the teaching of Balaam uh, and the Nicolaitans. the fact is we really don't know what this is what these teachings are but we don't need to because by the passage going into some of the tactics of Balaam it reveals enough to us to know what probably was happening It tells us in verse 15 that Balak put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they compromised their faith by eating food, sacrifice to idols, getting involved in sexual immorality. This account is recorded in Numbers chapter 25. And I like how Warren Worsby put it when he talked about this. I just want to read how he summarized it. He said this, Balaam was a true prophet who prostituted his gifts in order to earn money from King Balak, who hired him to curse the people of Israel. God prevented Balaam from actually cursing the nation. In fact, God turned the curses into blessing. But Balak still got his money's worth. How? By following Balaam's advice and making friends with Israel and then inviting the Jews to worship and feast at the pagan altars. If you can't beat them, join them. The Jewish men fell right into the trap and many of them became good neighbors. They ate meat from idolatrous altars, committed fornication as part of heathen religious rites. 24,000 people died because of this disobedient act of compromise. Numbers 25, 1 through 9. Balaam used a subtle form of seduction. All indications were that the Moabites were just being friendly. And in so doing, they were welcomed in by the Jews. And just like with my battery cable, thus started the corrosion and the rust in their spiritual lives going unnoticed at first because it was so small, but then building and growing, attacking their relationship with God. Oh, they would not deny their faith, even threatened by death. But some in the church started embracing false teachings, and it divided the church, and it causes God, who sees it all, to call them out. Subtle seduction. As a church, I think we at Heritage would be quick to point out or to identify if someone tried to be a false teacher here. Someone got up here and started teaching something that wasn't right. I think we'd be all over that. we say, hey, that's a lie, that's not true. You get down from there. How dare you speak this falsehood? That's not the word of God. That's not truths of His. The evil one knows this. So that's not the approach he takes against us. He used the same tactics that he used in the church at Pergamum. He tries to get us to make friends with the world. Slowly at first. Small compromises. Oftentimes done through the media, TV shows, where values that are not of God are brought up. They're made fun of to try and get us to laugh, to think, you know, that's really not that big a deal. Come on, you need to relax a little. Or they use the word conservative in a negative light, thinking you're a fool to still hold to conservative biblical values. It's time to be progressive in your thinking, which really means stop reading your Bible and believing anything in it. Sometimes the tactic will will be to be made fun of, looked down upon or the opposite, being praised because you're being progressive wow, you're, you're branching out and so that's a subtle seduction to get us to compromise with the whole goal of infiltrating our relationship with God and weakening it as well as hurting our witness to the world the subtle seduction of the world God's attitude towards us is clear There's no toleration by God. No trying to be politically correct here. His children are being pulled away and God is zealous for His children and tells them it's time to change. It's time to take action now. Look at verse 16. Therefore, repent. He's saying stop embracing this false teaching. Turn back to the truth of my word. Admit your sin and acknowledge that it is wrong and get rid of it. He's firm and to the point. He's not pleading. He's not trying to soft pedal it. Because nothing is more important to God than our relationship with Him. And nothing hurts. Nothing hurts it more than when we live with sin in our lives. And if we are honest with ourselves, We can all bear witness to how sin in our lives that is tolerated always has the effect of damaging our relationship with Him. And we see some of those effects. When we're tolerating sin, when it has gotten a hold of us, we'll start praying less. We won't have the desire to get into God's Word like we used to. The sermons don't seem to touch our heart anymore. We blame it on the pastor, but it's really our heart issue. Oh, we still profess our faith in Jesus. But our relationship becomes more apathetic and just there rather than vibrant and, and real. How serious is God about this? Back to verse 16 Repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone here want to go against Jesus with the sword? You know what? He loves us too much to let us go. He's fighting for us. You need to see it that way. Not that always a vicious, angry God. He's a zealous, loving God who, his children are being seduced away from him, and he will do everything he can to help bring us back to him. This is so encouraging. God cares. For each and every one of us. And if you're struggling, you need to know that God wants you back. You're not in trouble. You're hurting. And God will fight to get you back. And to get your whole heart. That's the God you need to see here in these scriptures. And he says to each of these to this church and he says to each of these seven messages to the church he uses the same line. Verse 17. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Question here. How good is your hearing? As we get older our hearing begins to fail us. But the opposite should be true in our spiritual ears. As we grow older, as we mature in our faith, our hearing should become better. We have that desire to hear from God's Word. We know it's truth and we take it to heart, what it proclaims. But it doesn't mean there's times when we don't listen. We have this experience that happens in our homes all the time, doesn't it? Selective listening. You ever do that? Oh man, when something you want... It's time to eat. Oh, you could hear a whisper. Time to eat. Oh, I'm there. I'm there. You know, you want to go, let's go out and do something. Oh, yeah, I heard that. But when it comes to a chore, oh, some project the spouse wants to be done, I didn't quite hear that one. I'm kind of busy working on some other stuff right now. Selective hearing. We can do that with God's word. And God is telling the church here. As he's telling us, don't blow this off. Don't act like it's not a big deal. Don't act like you're occupied with something else and you're not listening to me. That it doesn't matter what I've just said. But take it to heart. Take action and repent and get right with me. Why? Why should they do this? Interestingly enough here, he just doesn't leave it with repent, or with the sword coming with a sword. You know, have you ever heard the phrase, or maybe you've even proclaimed it? If God says it, I'll do it. I mean, it's that simple, okay? God says it, I'll do it. I don't need anything, any other reasoning, any other explanation. Great, but you know what? God gives us more. He gives the church in Pergamum more than just repent. He tells them let me tell you some of the blessings when you do repent, when you do stand firm, there are blessings that are going to come your way. Why does He do that? Don't we just need to, God just need to tell us what to do and we'll do it? Now remember, God's the one who created us, right? He knows how we're wired. He knows as human beings, there are times when we need a little motivation. We need to know that there's some benefits for doing the right thing. It sounds very holy and spiritual say, so, oh, no, I don't need to know any of this. I'm just living for the Lord. Just tell me what to do. I don't need to know the benefits. But God, who is smarter than us, says, no, you need to know the benefits. And I believe it's because this false teaching had such a hold on them that it was tough for them to break away. But when we get sucked into sin and it gets a hold of our heart, it's hard to break free from it. And we need to have some motivation. And God says, hey, there's some blessings that come when you repent, when you come back to me. God knows us better than anyone. He knows what helps to motivate us. And one of the things is knowing some of the blessings. It's how we're wired by Him. Now, no one knows this better than parents, right? We all use this technique as parents at times with our children. They need a little more incentive to get going on something. They need praise and affirmation. Maybe a treat. Hey, if you pick up your room, we'll go get some ice cream. Oh no, you shouldn't have to do that. You just tell them, pick up your room and that's it. Well, there's times when a little extra motivation, a little blessing, goes a long way. God did it with the church in Pergamum. It's okay. Now, if you're buying off your kids all the time, I'm not talking about that. uh, You know, I mean don't take it to an extreme here so god is doing this with the church and look what he tells will happen to those who hold fast who not give in to the false teaching who repent he says this the middle 17 to the one who conquers i will give some of the hidden manna and i will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it I bet you're saying, oh, awesome, you're going to explain all this and make it clear to me because I have no clue what the heck this hidden manna is or the white stone is. This is going to be awesome. Prepare to be disappointed. Um, We don't know exactly what this means. Uh, What do we know about manna? Okay, we know from the Old Testament that it came from heaven, that God supplied it to the people of Israel while they're wandering in the desert for 40 years, every morning except on Saturday, um, Saturday uh, Sunday morning, Lord's Day, the, the manna would be there and they would collect it up and that would provide all the nutritional needs they had for the day. God kept them alive for 40 years with this manna. It comes from Him and it supplies their f- for their physical needs. That's what we know about manna. Now he's talking about the hidden manna. What, what is hidden manna? I, I don't know. But from what we know, manna supplied the needs of the people. So is this manna going to supply their physical needs? Or maybe Jesus is called the bread of heaven, coming from the bread of heaven. Maybe it's going to supply our spiritual needs in some way. There's going to be some blessing that is going to feed our hearts or our stomachs. (laughs) I don't know which, but I think it's probably more our hearts, our spiritual lives, this hidden manna. And then the white stone. Back in the time that this was written, a white stone, uh, a couple purposes, a white stone was used. One of the uses of white stone was by a judge who would throw the stone, put the white stone down, showing that someone who was on trial was acquitted. So that's a good picture. We're all acquitted, aren't we, by Jesus? Another use of the white stone was it would be admission to a feast. I like that. So the only picture is the only use of the white stone we have at this time when it was written for those purposes. And he's saying that this white stone has a new name written on it. What's the new name? Is it some some commentators say it's the name of Jesus? Or maybe spiritually you get a new name when you go in his presence. We don't know. But it's a good thing. That's what we know. And no one knows this name except the one who receives it. Though we can't fully understand it, God is saying, hey, there's blessing." when you stand firm it's not going to be well boy what good was that well I stood firm and pff, didn't make any difference it makes a difference it may not make a difference immediately in your current situation where you see wow this happened but God who sees it all takes it into account and he will bless and he will work in and through you in ways that you may never even realize till later on in life The fact is, we live in a fallen world where we are faced with subtle seductions all the time. Evil, trying to get us to make friends with the world and its ways and its values that that are not of God. Trying to get a hold of our heart and pull us away in our relationship with God. The good news is, God sees it all. He knows what we're going through. So much so that He doesn't want anything to get in the way of our relationship with Him. He is zealous for us and wanting us to be restored to Him. To repent. To acknowledge. To come back to Him. Like the battery cable with its corrosion and rust. Maybe some of that is taking place in your heart right now. Maybe it's just in the beginning stages and And God's saying, hey, take note of it. It's time to to clean that out, to get rid of it. Maybe it's got a hold of you, or man, it's messing with you. And God's saying, I love you. I know what you're going through. You're not in trouble. I just want you to get right with me. Turn from that sin. I'm here. I'll bless. I'll work in your life. I'll do things you can't even imagine because you know none of us ever meant that to happen i don't think any of us get up and say you know what i think i'm going to start living a life of sin and just really go for it no we don't want to do that but but it happens that subtle seduction gets a little hold of us and it starts eating away and before we know it it has a big hold of our hearts god knows that and he says repent it's never too late Forgiveness and healing is available to all. Is it time for you to take action? Is there something God is putting on your heart saying, okay, enough of that. Let's repent. Let's get right. Let's give it to me. Praise God that he sees it all. Praise God that he cares. Praise God that he wants us back wholeheartedly. That restoration is possible for anyone. And everyone. The subtle seductions will always be out there. But far greater is our God. Who sees it all. Who is all powerful. Who always wants his children to be with him wholeheartedly. And who provides the way to make that a reality. Through Jesus. Through repentance. And the grace that we have through the cross. Let's pray. Father how awesome it is that we see your heart for your people here in the church at Pergamum a church that knew what it was like to be up against it to live in an environment that was spiritually evil and godless and yet they remained firm and yet they got sucked in by a subtle form of seduction Lord, we can all relate to that. There's plenty of godlessness in our world right now. And there's plenty of subtle seductions out there too to try and pull us in away from you. Father, I thank you that you want us to come to you. I thank you that your arms are open wide. God, help if any of anyone here has had the false picture of you being angry and you just mad at us and we don't want to come who wants to come to an angry mad God that's not what you are you're a zealous God who loves us you say man repent come back to me because I love you I want things to be right between us Lord help us to see that correct picture and Lord I pray and I thank you for those who repent this morning who turn back to you they're forgiven you don't hold grudges that's gone Oh, to have the freedom of walking with you again wholeheartedly and for those that are doing that right now encourage them to keep pressing on to not let any little bit of rust or corrosion of evil of this world get in but keep it out to keep that relationship with you, our hearts clean with you Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you in all these things. Thank you for being the God who cares and has the power to change and to help us. And it's in your son's name we pray this, day.